Good morning. This is uh, Laramie Wall with my new morning talk show, RPG Breakfast Club, and here are my associates. Also, uh, this is Laramie, Tavern Mensch, and all around no, near do well. Uh, I guess I'll go. Um, so I'm Pex, the uh, tavern custodian here at the tavern, also Jonathan. Um, yeah, I help uh, do these breakfast club things along with everything else tavern related. Next. Uh, I'm Hack and Slash. Uh, that's my blog. I stream on Twitch as Eganark Artist. I'm a working writer and illustrator. Um, and. Uh, I play a lot of DNT. I'm Douglas Cole. Uh, I am Gaming Ballistic LLC, uh, publisher of Dragon Heresy and a book on grappling, which I can't avoid talking about. Um, play a bunch of GURPS, right? For uh, Dungeon GURPS, uh, uh, Dungeon Fantasy role playing game, and my own DD based system. So, welcome to the Breakfast Club. Great to have you here on Sunday morning. I think we missed. Right. Did, we miss yeah, did I miss my turn? You did. Yes. It's like Hackmaster. If you don't announce on your on your queue, then you get skipped. Correct. Okay, hey, I'll go now. Uh, I'm Hernan, uh, more commonly known as Haruka online, and I'm the developer of a virtual tabletop software called Battlegrounds, which I started about 10, 10 or eleven years ago. And more currently, I'm working on my MapForge map-making software for making tactical-scale battle maps. Cool. And I put the list of what we'll be talking about in the Breakfast Club chat channel. Yeah, so, so uh, I have... I, I'm sorry. I have, so, I have no, some opinions about um, spell components. Um, so I'm going to talk about them and, uh, I guess everybody's just going to have to cope. The, the, the issue I have is that it's simultaneously a space for Gygax to make jokes and also destroy the economy by requiring 100 gold piece pearls for an identify spell. Like I just, I just, you have to, you have to find some way to address the spell, like where did that grasshopper come from? You've got to be kidding me. I was with you up until the grasshopper. No, it's a component for jump. Okay. Like oh, so, okay. you need a grasshopper pull. for jump. Yeah. yeah yes. Yeah, okay, so you, you pull it, and you're like, right, "Well, yeah. you were yeah. just yeah. swimming." Like what? You know, like um, you you have to hand wave some of it because like they're jokes. You you know what's the ESP requires a copper coin. You know uh. The sleep requires a piece of fleece. Like, you know, that's that's funny and everything. You're just going to hand wave that. But then something will be like, oh, you need a 100 gold piece pearl. And you realize people are going to be wanting to cast identify a lot. And then I, people I, have, they've written articles on, like, how that destroys economies. I, I would interject there. I think that me as a GM, there are two ways I deal with this. Uh, first, uh, to me, it does a pretty reasonable job of identify is not just a hand wave anymore. I'm a giant fan of identify kit should be a process. So instead of it just being, I'm in the dungeon, I catch identify, boo, I know what this thing does. You take it to a stage and it doesn't cost a lot of money. It just takes a little bit of time. 
and identify is the emergency trigger pull of I need this thing now. Yeah, but it takes eight hours to cast. Well, then in that case, disregard all previous transitions. No, I, I see it. <laughs> but I yeah, really no, like like the issue. I think I mean like it's a tax. Clearly, they're mm -hmm. like, well, if you just did this freely, it would be overpowered. You know, we want you to play around with the magic items and not just use them. But I don't think it goes far yeah. enough. The other the other issue I have with them is that they don't make magic feel very magical like uh you know five thousand gold piece diamond just feels like a tax it doesn't feel like uh uh anything that makes the magic feel magical well i kind of on the mindset of everything has a price um but i'm also with hack and slash maybe that price or the items in question could be different they don't have to be rare gems or anything like that. But I would like my magic a little bit to have that tangible feel to it. Like, I need this to access this type of spell. I do like that aspect of it. But the thing in question, that I think that's the the tipping point for me where, like, it's a little, little much. And you're right, it does ruin economies that way. There are OSR solutions that have been proposed. Uh, Wonder and Wickedness is one. Um, I took uh, uh, an idea by somebody on G+, and I credited them in the original series of posts, whereas Wizards got accoutrement, like followers or a tower or like a, a mantle, then that's how they leveled up. Um, and there's other suggestions and ideas out there for dealing with the spell component situation. The, the, the concept of being able, of having a stronghold or a, or a seat of power and being able to kind of do whatever you want inside of it is nifty. Uh, that harkens to, uh, well, it harkens a lot of things, but... Real life. Me, well, yeah, there's that too, but there's uh, uh, the, the, to the tower that, um, um, oh, I'm blanking on his name, but uh, the wielder of Black Wand and the Stephen Bruce uh, of Vlad Talto's books built a special magical floating castle and in it there's a special magical tower where he does his thing and it's very attuned to him. I will probably remember the guy's name like an hour into the thing, but Stephen Burst, the writer? Yeah. I'm going to the spell component thing though. My two interjections there. One, unfortunately, economy things, you kind of have to almost hand wave a little bit. The sheer idea of dungeon delving ruins economies. As soon as you go to, you know, the little tiny town there and you have piles and piles of gold, the economy is kind of trash. So while that can be a fun topic of discussion, I think to some extent you kind of have to hand wave that anyway. Yeah, we're, we're, the, we accept dragons. We can totally accept right. them. Right. Right. And that's what I mean. You kind of have to just acknowledge that a little bit and just kind of lift that off the side and accept it. Two, uh, one of the things that I do enjoy as far as spell components in the newest version of Hackbass is they do since nothing's round-based, it's all just based on seconds. I haven't been tracking a lot of spell components in that last campaign because it was our first run through it. But one of the things it does account for in time is the amount of time it takes to get material components out for a spell. So the spell cast has a time. And then on top of that, you roll a d4 for how long you're fumbling in your belt pouches to find the components you need, which is a neat, in my opinion, a neat add-on to spellcasting because now it's you you do have to find those things you need but it's not necessarily if you don't feel like minutia tracking it's it's just a a mechanical thing to do it not bad it'd be like a roll 1d4 to see how long it takes to get an hour out of your quiver i mean that's a fair point i mean 
whatever's being retrieved has to be easily accessible. So like bandoliers or things you can easily access like clips and or strings tied to your stuff. I could see that rather than your, what do they call it? Spell pouch components these days. I'm, I'm sorry. I- excuse me. I'm just going to, who put together this list? <laughs> we all do. Like, I'm, I'm reading through this list. This is, I don't know. Eclectic is what I'm going to go with. Cause I'm in public and people are listening. Of discussion topics or spell item? No, no, like discussion topics, like comic books. Like I just, I, 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 did we lost? Did we lose some focus here? Was there a theme for this today? No, the comic, the comic (laughs) book and board game thing was me saying that hey, since nobody else has brought up any topics, the actual, I would assert that the actual topics are the minutia tracking things, spell components, light duration, reaction tracking, ammo. Calendars, those little things that some it's like somebody just like randomly me. selected a bunch of words from the Dungeon Master's Guide. Uh, that's called the Dungeon Master's Guide. It is just a random assortment of words. Yeah, correct. correct. Well, no, to I, be I, fair, I, Laramie I, asked us all week for topics and we didn't give him anything, so he put those up. And then I put the minutia stuff up. And I, then I'm not complaining. I love it. I was just, I, I, was, a, I was a little taken aback uh, at the broad. If you guys want to talk about comic books, I'm more than happy to. For the most, I mean, that being, said, yeah. that being said, next week, if we actually use some kind of random generator to pull words out of the DMG for topics, that would be kind of fun too. That can be like the April, yeah, no, that, that's a great idea. Um, <laughs> understand these words individually, but when you put them together, when, when you guys play DD, I, I don't know how it is for other people, but I have it's it's like a game. Like the players take their turn and they get to do so much within their game. So for me, light duration is just part of the the sequence of play. So like I, I don't really understand people who like don't track light or don't use it um, because it's just there's a sequence, right? The players can move, you know, nine squares if they're normally encumbered or whatever their current total is. And then you make all these checks for the things they need to do and then they get their turn again, right? Well, I think it's a lost art. Like in older games or OSR type games, you have where it matters a bit more. Torchlight matters. And in, in newer editions, it's like a cantrip. Bam, it's done. It's over with. We don't need to track yeah, that and have, with have. it. That's the lost art kind of deal. Everything has dark vision. Yeah, that too. Well, <laughs> Except humans, sadly, but light. I think, I think a lot of things are really similar. There are definitely, I think, a lot of groups out there that don't track ammunition, which I find relevant. There are groups out there that don't track rations because they want to hand wave it. I actually enjoy the concept of you need to pay attention to what you're doing or you'll starve down here. Well, here's 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 my thing is it has to be chunky. Like if it's if it's too finagly, if it's down to like like we I track encumbrance way more closely using a stone system than I ever did when it was individual coins or pounds. So I found that by making ration tracking being like, you know, this takes up a whole slot. And if you use it, it has this immediately like significant positive effect or, you know, like allows you to do something, then it becomes easier for them to track. It becomes a valuable resource. Right. Uh, and, and um, as far as, you know, I need to not talk so much. Sorry. So I'm going to yeah, say, yeah, the, uh, I wound up doing the same thing. Uh, I can't remember if it was the original, lo- the original Lost Hall of Tear adventure had a wilderness section for it um, that uh, built on, um, was built off of like actual survival tables and rules and, and stuff. Cause I always like to ground my stuff in, in 
expectations and and for certain things like being outside in negative 20 degree weather um fahrenheit so when it's actually cold um the the roll frequency for how in trouble are you was just too high and and that was pointed out because i was like oh well look you know you you know it, it you can die in a couple hours in 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 something like this so the roll frequency needs to be high and the uh it was pointed out to me Doug's survival charts based on my current shoveling. <laughs> That's right. Um, the uh, in any case, the the problem with it is that it brought the game to a screeching halt for no great reason. And so when we revised it for Hall of Judgment and now Hall of Tear Second Edition, um, it was basically roll at the end of any major movement period. So if you hike for eight hours consistently then you're moving the whole time and that's kind of a constant thing and so nothing happens. Um, if you hike for two hours and then you have to stop for whatever reason, you have to make a constitution save to see if you're freezing to death. Um, yeah, I think I, both of those I, ideas kind of roll together between you and Axlash. It's, it's making that combination of making it relevant and pertinent and then not just grinding the game to a halt. And I think for a lot of groups, that is going to be pretty individual. Again, some groups just hand wave it. Everybody finds their way to do it. You've yeah, done it in chunks I, I was going to say, everybody... Everybody wants it to match. You know, they all want it to feel realistic. But we're we're you're aiming for truthiness that's fun, not right. factual that's tedious. Right. right. No, and the, the 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 thing that I think that um the the concept of going into a cavern, I mean, first of all, most people haven't done it. Right? Have, has, I mean, have you ever gone spelunking? Oh yeah, I mean, a, the, a I lot. Mean, the, I live the, right? we have all kinds of caves here. It's fantastic. Right. So I haven't done a ton of it, but I've done it. And the extent to which you're, it's just scary and dark, the extent to which the smoke of a torch or having to carry a lantern is actually going to interfere with what you're doing. Um, and gee, that's a really tight passage. My backpack just got caught. Those are th things that are terrifying yeah. in real life. Uh, when you lose sight of the entrance, you know, gravity is the only thing that's right. communicating to you what's down because there's no, there's no right. and finished I think corner or wall. Gygax at all, we're trying to capture some of that. You're going to have to keep track of, you know, we're used to driving a car. Oh, I want to, I want to get from LA to Maine. So yeah, it's going to take me a couple of days, but I'm going to drive and I'm going to sleep in a holiday inn and blah, blah, blah. Well, that's not, you know, even a hundred years ago, less than a hundred years ago, you couldn't do that, right? It was a month. That's why the interstate highway system was built. Uh, go back a thousand years and things get really different. And I think a lot of the minutia tracking that are in the books is an attempt to mechanically reinforce how scary moving around in a wilderness or a cavern is. Um, and, and some of that fear of moving around uh, has been lost in treating the cavern or the dungeon or the wilderness as simply set dressing between plot points. Yeah, it wasn't right. long, long ago. I was going to say it wasn't long ago at all that uh, the the highway system wasn't as good as it was. I remember my parents right. when we were driving around telling me that uh, when they were kids, there weren't lines on the side of the road. Like when it was dark, you could watch. So yeah, that's very, very recent. Right. There's, there's, there's a tendency in RPGs okay, to, good to know. 
to not pay attention to caverns. They just consider them dungeons with squiggly walls, and you're not really treating it like a cave system. I think you're absolutely right, and, pe and that fear has been lost as well, because people, I mean, even in systems today, that used to be you have to go back to town to rest. You go in a little bit, and then it's too scary, or you get to a grinding point where you've used a lot of your resources or people are injured, and you need to go back to town. Nowadays, it's more like, well, we have mechanics to circumvent the going back to town, the need to do that, uh, to keep on going within the dungeon exploring. Normal people wouldn't do that. <laughs> Signs of trouble, most people would turn back um, after so much uh, of that had happened. And uh, I just find what these yeah. days. Yeah, it's not scary anymore. It is what makes us special, though. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, so I mean, that's the uh, you know resource management um, and and fear management. Fear is a tough thing to do in in games. Um, that kind of stuff. So, well, flying off the scheduled topics, how does does anybody have a really clever fear mechanic? background I, music I, yeah there we go you say fear it's it's like you lose a turn like in the old board games if you landed on the wrong space it's not very fun well that's what i mean like how do you actually i mean can does anybody have a reasonably swift clever like maybe you just get a minus fear defense for a couple of rounds and you're kind of shocked and awed yeah there's there's a uh, i can't remember i think it's in fifth edition because i have two of them i have a demoralized and a frightened condition um, that gives you disadvantage on rolls in Dragon Heresy. Um, I mean, demoralize, is demoralize is slightly different in it. It gives you disadvantage on uh, aggressive conduct instead of everything. So, like, you know, if you're frightened, you're just, you're just, your hands are trembling and whatever. If you're demoralized, you just want to get away from the Minotaur who just kicked your buddy's ass. Um, and so it's a slightly different, same mechanical effect. But what triggers it is more um, directed. But let's go like to games like Cthulhu. Your brain literally becomes a mush because you're so terrified, or you run out of there kicking and screaming, "I want my mommy!" That you're so terrified. Yeah, that's that's a that's a tough one because on the one hand, totally realistic. On the other hand, it becomes a save or spectate kind of thing. Um, All right. You know, I mean, we're all here to play a game. It's just like, well, we could stop playing because we're so scared, or we can continue playing. It's one of those. Right. So the, the, in, in GURPS, what you wind up doing is you pile up minor disadvantages, um, psychological disadvantages, right? You know, all of a sudden you're scared of the, of the color blue or, you know, whatever. Um, I just, I'm just making that up because I was staring at something blue. Um, but, uh, you know, it, that, that's another way to do it is to you, create, you get these minor phobias that you have to deal with. Um, you know what? You know what uh, 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 Knights Black Agents had a nifty kind of stress track building up. Uh, I'd have to. I, in in uh, Perdition, uh, which is the clone that I wrote, um, there's uh, a mental pool of hit points. And so as characters get in more intense and more stressful situations, they get bonuses. But then events can happen either on the hazard die roll or during combat that can cause their level of stress to immediately damage their mental state. And then um, if they lose their control of their mental state, then there's a 
a, a table where they acquire quirks like mental disabilities, uh, minor ones or whatever. So uh, that that has to track it as like an entire um, value. Like it has to be a core part of the game design, I think, because uh, it it doesn't transplant very well just as a a way to address fear in most D and D games. And you couldn't really do this as a convention game or any kind of like public game. But what I find for like house games or online games, uh, striking fear with another sense. Uh, in this case, hearing it. With I mean, we're joking about it earlier, but I use background music a lot at the table. It changes the whole mood. Uh, it hits one of those senses, and you get that kind of creepy factor for like your horror type music or background music kind of thing. So I think that's an avenue beyond mechanics to create that fear uh, atmosphere. Yeah, I think that uh, the other thing that uh, I, I, I want to echo Courtney's comment about it being built into the fabric of the game, um, because like you know when I when I bolted the grappling system on, you know you needed to do a lot of checking to make sure that it synced up well with how long you expected a grappling match to take and what it could do and and, and stuff like that, um, and if one were to address or create or add on a morale metric um, of, of a broad brush where if you're demoralized or you're afraid or whatever, um, you'd really want to deal with that because like, you know, when you see your foes and your friends uh, uh, making a good uh, you know, killing bad guys or driving them off or whatever, uh, or if you see one of your one of your compatriots laid low, uh, you're going to want to make sure that whatever mechanic you're doing is compatible so that it uh, uh, doesn't deviate the game into an on-table spreadsheet management session. Uh, and I'm not saying that Courtney's does that because I've never played it and I don't know it. Um, but we, I, that was a big problem with the old Pathfinder system, which is, oh, I'm going to grapple, so now let's break out 12 flowcharts. No, no, dude, my game is perfect. Uh, everyone should buy it. I don't know I why that, anyone is playing anything else. No, I, I guess my, I'm not even looking at something that complicated as far as what's in your buddy knockdown or something like that. I mean, something is, you know, you've never seen a skeleton before. I'm going to guess that coming at you is going to be horrifying. You're going to poop yourself a little bit. You know, not yeah, that needs to be something super intricate. Just things like that that I think about in a game. Yeah, no, Mon uh, GURPS, actually, GURPS Monster Hunters uh, has a section on the squick factor. Um, and and the... Well, GURPS has a lot to it. The sublines, Monster Hunters, After the End, Dungeon Fantasy, the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game, which is different than Dungeon Fantasy, um, and Action... Uh, have done the work for you in trimming out. This just in, groups has a lot of mechanics. No, that, but yeah, but that's that's. <laughs> so yeah, it does and it does not, right? It actually has three mechanics, uh, and everything else is a search for modifiers. Um, and if you know what your modifiers are, or you broad brush them, uh, GURPS can play as fast as any game that you like. Um, and so, and I and I have done it, and I've seen it done, and it doesn't require quite as much system mastery until you pull out an arrow or a gun, in which case the range modifiers stack up a little bit. But but by and large, is all you're really doing <laughs> is the same way with uh, same way with uh, uh, 
D&D or anything else. You've got an attack role, you've got a defense role, you've got a quick contest, you've got a damage role, you've got a reaction role, and that's it. Yeah, uh, and if but, you can but figure people, out which way to do that. If you figure out what it is to do and what you want to cut out, it's, it's a plenty fast rolling engine. Yeah, but uh, anybody who's ever created a character in GURPS is going to tease GURPS people about it. Which is fair, because it front loads. It, it, it's as complicated to create a GURPS hey, character. I'm not even saying it's a bad system. I, I love crunchy yeah, systems. No. I'm just I mean, taking my free I, shot. It, it's just front, it's front loaded is the problem. I, I can run Shadowrun and Rollmaster and make it seem smooth. I, I understand. Like, like you could, it, absolutely, you could do the same thing with GURPS. But we're, people are still going to yeah. tease GURPS yeah. about it. No, and and the 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 Sean did a nice job in making it a lot less front loaded with the Dungeon Fantasy role playing game, and he's got a couple pyramid yeah, articles absolutely. that that could have done it even more. There's one called uh, "Pointless Lo Looting and Slaying" that is a select off of a menu kind of thing, except each of the menu bits is built with the background system by the designer in advance. And I was really hoping the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game would incorporate that for speed, because then you're talking about generating a character in five or ten minutes. It becomes an old-school character experience. Um, and that would really have taken the line in a direction of reinvigoration, I think. But, yeah, but I, I think he knows that his audience is the type of people who want to build their characters. That's why they're playing GURPS instead of 5e. Right, except those people are already playing GURPS, and DFRPG was an attempt to capture more. Yes, that no, that's true. You're absolutely right. I kind of well, like yeah. the fact that I like the fact that it takes a while to roll up character in GURPS. You invest an hour or two or three, and uh, it matters if he dies. Whereas if you just choose a couple things from a menu and it's a cookie cutter character, it doesn't really matter. I am absolutely in that camp. I again. Packmaster is not a quick generation system, and I do think that it adds a little bit more of a investment. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> yeah, certainly. The emergent played uh, is going to be is going to, should be a little bit different. Um, we're a little off topic, although I'm certainly having a lot of fun. It was my fault we we digress, but uh, it's, it's actually you know what it is. It's it, it's it's resource management, but it's personal time resource management. So it's sort of on topic. <laughs> I'm also going to go sort of off topic um, on the subject of fear here. Um, just, well, let's talk about fear itself. I think used to be a lot of things were scarier than they are now, um, either by exposure through media or people were just getting started in D&D &D and they don't, wouldn't know what, I don't know, some fantasy creature would be and it would be terrifying. Nowadays, it's more than ever. Yeah, you wouldn't know what an orc was, hell. Right, and nowadays we all know these things through all the movies and all the books and all of this, that, and the other. And I, I'm, I'm just going to say it. I think we're a bit spoiled than we were then, and it's, the shock value has been a little bit lost. A, a lot of that is with the OSR and the the nouveau, the front wave of it is all about, right? Like R Raggies, there is no monster manual because every terror should be unique, and then. The books by Patrick Stewart and Scrap Princess with the monsters and the ideas is that it's to get away from their stats in a book and get back towards this is a terrifying mystical creature whose abilities are undefinable, much less not known. And I respect that, but I don't have time to make up a new character every five steps. Like I, I, I get that that's a clever way to make monsters, but I at least I at least need something to base off of. Because I think you can do the same thing if you take an orc and just bend it into something else to make it scary. Versus starting out of whole cloth every time you need a monster. That's just my opinion. 
Yeah, I, I think the uh, you know that that's the real like uh, uh, Pex was teasing me uh, earlier that my Discord uh, uh, icon has been an angry red for a, a couple a week or so um, because I've been writing and I have I don't I don't have time to to futz around on the internet and chat with people that I like to chat with when I'm trying to put down a couple thousand words a day in order to meet an internal deadline. So that's the thing. If I'm gonna gin up an adventure oh i've got six people coming over on friday and and my god my life is really complex and whatever like most people's are and i need to do something and if i have to wander through a psychological evaluation of what horror we're going to metaphorically address today I, you know i don't got time for that or whatever the meme is right nobody's got well, time for that um and, and, and so the, the the starting point piece is is really important um and you know, monster manuals. I mean, I think the fact that monster manuals sell really well is is at least from a do you have the wherewithal to write the funky psychological stuff that you'd like to write suggests that people kind of like the support. It's it's not really like I, having having used a lot of these Terratic Tome and uh, the a couple of the others that are out there. There they are they are monsters. It's like you take a Medusa, which is a singular creature in Greek myth, and you you propagated out to like a species and then a lot of these things are the same things monsters that we're afraid of vampires represent rape liches represent you know the idea that authority structures might not allow us to take them over you know as we grow old they won't die or they won't go away werewolves are about alcoholism and violence you read into that way more than i ever have I've never. Well, I mean, that's that zombies either. are about commercialism and the loss of individuality. I mean, that's why they become popular in the time periods that they are. And these monsters in these books are just those new types of things personified, like fears of you know being alone in the village. But it's still just a woman who attacks you with roots that come out of the ground. I mean, it's just a monster. It's just a, they just come with a lot of how to use it and play ideas. And I think on topic to, I guess, the original one, which was Laramie's about fear, how to handle that in game, I found that asking somebody what your character would be afraid of at the very beginning of the character creation or what you personally are afraid of as a player um, can add to that horror atmosphere as well during play later on. I Sure. Yep. Yep. Actually, uh, just to, to, want to jump on... Uh... Uh, hack and slash point. Um, if you really want a great bullet point list of some of the origin stories of a lot of the creatures, uh, Ken Height's book that he wrote for GURPS, horror, his latest horror, if you can find it in hardback or softback, goes through that brilliantly. So here, th these are monsters that represent fear of death. These are monsters that represent fear of sex. These are monsters that represent fear of starvation. These are monsters that represent fear of losing your mind. These are monsters that represent blah, blah, blah. And it's a, it's a wonderful way to be thematic about it. And it's, as, as always with Ken, it's, it's concise and it's well-written and it's erudite and all that good stuff. Um, the most important thing is it's all done for you um, and with worked examples. So it, it's a little bit of a plug there if you can find it. It's, it's uh, for making a thematic or an engaging creature with a, a theme with, you know, with a theme other than a cluster of hit dice. It's a, it's a great reference book. All right. So steering us back on topics. Yeah, yeah. Uh, ration tracking is up next. I love this. Uh, but I think it's a bit overdone because uh, I'm going to go. My point would be iron rations. 
they're the only things that don't spoil in a dungeon like after an hour or so. I think that was a bit silly, but I like the concept of diversity and rations or you're out going on a thousand mile trek. You're going to run out of food. So what do you do kind of deal? I'll take yeah. a pinch of that one. So our last big adventure we ran, that big Hackmaster game, was a lot of overland travel. And I basically modified the wilderness survival guide rules to do hunting and fishing. And they did those things. We added poundage of food, made a rough estimate of how much non-iron ration weight equals into food. And we just, honestly, you've got this much food. We plug it into a spreadsheet. Boom, boom. There was no fiddly bits. We just, how many days did you walk? Rolls, boom, done. But it still kept track of food. Yeah, and uh, Dragon Heresy did the same thing. I've got, uh, and I, you know, it's, it's detailed even more in uh, Lost Hall Second Edition, um, and frankly, even better because I had learned some things about how to do it. Um, but yeah, it's uh, you know the, uh, you know, how much weight can you get out of a dead animal? Well. If you don't know what you're doing, you can probably get 20% of the live weight, assuming you don't poison it and give yourself a disease. If you really know what you're doing, you can get 50 or 60% if you're just looking for meat. And if you want to boil down bones for soup stock, you know people can get pretty, uh, pretty efficient. But I looked at hunting and dressing tables and stuff like that and turned that into survival roles. Um, and, uh, you know, that's why, why, you have, that's why you have a ranger, right? What was that? We also took some rules that we stole out of second edition or the fourth edition of Hackmaster because it actually had some yeah. pretty good honey, quick and dirty hunting and skinning rules. Yeah, the, the rules there are good. I um, I, I do a lot of BX dungeon crawling, and every sixth turn you have to rest or you get penalties, and I require uh, every character to to have a ration to take that rest, and uh, since rations take up an equipment slot, it um, it it balances itself out. How do you, and what I found, uh, good. You said an equipment slot. How do you, is, is, you said, is, you said you measure by stone. Yeah. Normally it's the, it's your strength. Like if you have a 16 strength, you got 16 slots and then leather chain plate takes up one, two, three. Nice and quick and dirty. Yeah, yeah, and and, it, and you can track it. You can enforce it. You, you're like, well, you don't have room. One one of the neat things that I stole from Eric Diaz uh, online, um, and was a slot system like that for fifth edition, and we came up with a, a weight and bulk based system. And one of the neat things is that it said if you have empty slots, that becomes the limit on your dex bonus. So if you were really strong and really frugal with what you were carrying, you could still stack a dexterity bonus on top of your plate. Because if you look at especially the advanced plate harnesses that people would wear that you show up in D&D, even though it's probably an anachronism, uh, you can do gymnastics in those things if you're strong enough. And if you look at the tales of, the, the, especially the one French knight who was really renowned for his strength, he would take off and put on his male shirt while hanging one-handed from a ladder kind of stuff, right? And do gymnastics and jump up and do cartwheels and push-ups and the, the French, the medieval French equivalent of burpees. Um, so he would do all that stuff every day so that he would be strong enough to fight easily. And so the, oh, you don't get any dexterity bonus because you're wearing plate. 
tracks less well with that. And so, but by, by implementing the simple stone-based or slot-based equipment system, that takes care of itself because those slots fill up real fast. And uh, what, I, what I picked up, and I, I'm going to say the last bit of his name here, Pathfinder, um, they, they did something really interesting that I don't think gets enough love. They had different ration types for the different races. And I found that more interesting than anything else. Not, not, so, not so much the mechanics behind it. It's just a more heartier meal for that race. Like they had so many options for everything, man. It's true. It's true. They did. But I, I like that one in particular for the fluff value. I really did. <laughs> so I guess moving on from rations, ammo being lost in combat, gay or nay kind of thing, or what's your opinions? I, I really like the ammo die. I, I think that because um, you get to recover arrows sometimes, and it deals with losing that stuff without requiring too much tracking, and you can use it for wands and stuff too. I use a D6 for my guys. Um, one, you recover it. Anything else, you don't. Uh, so it, arrows are valuable. My, mine is as simple as uh, when you roll to hit, roll your damage with it, because Hackmaster's got a built-in whether or not the arrow breaks on target. Uh, so that happens if you hit your target or if you are indoors or in a cave. If you are outdoors and you miss, that arrow is gone. Because if you've ever been hunting and you... you know, <laughs> it's gone. Yeah. Fletching, it's gone forever. You're never going to find that piece of wood in the woods. Yeah, and that's, and that's true on a clear archery range as well. <laughs> I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've spent like... 10 or 15 minutes looking for the bright orange arrow knock and it's still buried in the grass and you can't see it. Nice phosphorescent knock and fletching. And right. Without, and, and that's not... So if it's outdoors... And that's not bone or horn, right? Right. So if it's, yeah, and that's not even bone or horn or natural, yeah. Okay, if you hit your target, uh, it's just a bit of an arrow break chance. And it's basically, you drop all your dice at the same time. So when we roll to hit, we roll our damage with it. It makes it easy instead of waiting that much. And I always get a little bit of uh, fluff back from, well, the swords and axes and the other melee weapons don't break. Well, they don't have 30 of them. Well, but they do break. I mean, that's a fumble. Right, they, they can break in the games I play, but most of the time they're, they're fine in most games or other types of games that I don't really run myself, but yeah. But I also require maintenance. Like, if you are using sword or axe, um, there's that's one of those things that I factor into. So my generic day, well, we're going to do calendar tracking here a little bit. Uh, my calendar day allows uh, 10 hours of rest and you get about 12 to 14 hours of travel. And part of that rest involves just downtime. You're not sleeping. You don't need to sleep for 10 hours, but you need to set camp. You need to make a meal. You need to break camp. If you have weapons, you need to sharpen your weapons. You need to oil things. You need to actually take care of your equipment. If you start skimping out on that, things start going to pot. Right, and like the crushing damage from a mace to the chest, that's going to impact your armor. You're going to need to fix that somehow, some way, either to yourselves or a blacksmith. Just, I think that maintenance is required. And so you know, the, the guy with the bow and arrow might not need a lot of maintenance, but he's going to lose ammo. It, to me, it kind of, you know, it bounces out. There's bowstring break. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and, and that's, 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 that's,
because I was yeah, like, you know, and, and figuring out a good way to do that that isn't either playing gotcha or or boring. Um, like slot systems are really good because you've only got twenty of them to manage, and you can do it with literal stones. Um, but you know, so you know, gotcha is super easy. You just when something happens, if a player doesn't expect it, okay. So let's say your string breaks, and the player's like, "Oh man, I never." I didn't know that was actually a rule. Okay, you get you get a pass, and next time it's going to hit you. To me, it's that easy, and I do that for a lot. Yeah, of no, it, it, yeah, it, it, but that's you know that's the thing is that at what point do so? I, I mean, I think it's 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 fun. I think it's especially fun in like a computer game like Battle Brothers that armor damage is tracked and shields, and you can destroy shields purposefully, and and you know you have to spend money on upkeep because as you get hit. By certain weapons, your armor takes damage as well as you do. Yeah, that's uh, how Hackmaster works, right? Like you, in in 4E, you had armor and it took damage. Right, absolutely, it still does. Does the new edition too? Yeah, I, I mean, like with Hackmaster, it works. I mean, like it, it it can definitely it it's designed to be part of the flow of combat. It doesn't take out of it. Yeah, and I think it, I think it works really well. It just it's kind of based on hit points and, and critical hits. It works great. I do have a terrible problem with fumbles, though. I, um... Yeah, I'm just like crit fail or quit critical fumbles, uh, where something terrible happens to your character because of die rolls. The, I think my main issue with them is because there's a flat five percent chance usually when you're talking about D twenty systems. They, uh, the, it means that it's most likely to affect those making most melee attacks. So, like the fighters fumble the most. So, if you're going to use them, I always make sure that the fighters have to confirm their failure just so that they don't become more ineffective. Well, since we started talking about the new edition Hackmaster earlier, I think you might enjoy the way it's done now. So, the new severity of fumble is based on so you roll, you, you so, so you fumble, it has to also have a lower roll than your opponent's defense roll. If you mm. fumble, but your modifier still brings you over their defense roll, you just missed. And then you roll e the 1,000 like normal. And the uh -huh. severity is based on how much you missed by plus that number. So yeah, it was, it was okay in 4E because the fact that they were fighters mitigated the, the, the issue with the fumble, right? Yeah, so the, the, your variation. So let's say, you know, your your mage is trying to stab someone in the back and he fumbles. Well, he's going to fumble worse because his modifier is going to be pretty poor versus if that fighter misses, he's going to miss and he might like sweat in the eye minus one to next attack versus the, the mage who doesn't know what he's doing. And you trip on a rock stagger and fall into your buddy and stab him in the arm for D4 damage. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Again, I think it's, I think that's like everything we've discussed. I think that's a little system to system. But uh, you take a take a look at the new Hackmaster fumble setup. It, I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah, bell curve systems because the low end of the bell curve is a 0.5 percent chance have mitigated that somewhat. But it's still you still have to be a little careful, right? Because although we were when we were playing the like the, one of the very first games of the Dungeon Fantasy role playing game, we were Gen Con. Uh, two years ago, and Sean Punch was running it, and I was there with a friend of mine who I'd interacted with and written with for years, but never actually met until then. He was playing uh, the inevitable uh, cat-based person because that was one of the uh, one of the races, and managed to cut her own leg off by 
it was like a critical miss followed by a critical hit followed by a critical damage roll and so she basically managed to swing her rapier and cut off her own leg but we put it back on but it was one of those yeah you know, that kind of sort of random thing that's really Did you cut a leg off with a rapier it was it was horrible right it was an edge rapier but yeah it was uh um uh more of you know it's, it's, i guess in 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 real world terms it was a cut and thrust sword which is like a sword as long as a rapier with an edge on it also, but uh I, I now want there to be a module called the inevitable cat person don't you think but yeah, but anyway, but it's that kind of thing. It was like three or four ridiculous rolls in a row. And, you know, it defines the game for, or at least defines the session, right? It's the story. Oh, I remember when Christopher cut off his own leg. That was funny. You get this picture. Like, those moments are great. Like, we, you know, fourth edition Nightmaster, we had a character that critically hit a giant sea monster. And because it hacked after the dice explode, and he did enough damage and knocked the thing unconscious in one shot. And the sea monster just right. went back under the surface. That is a moment from 10 years ago that the group still talks about. Hey, remember when Jimmy did that thing? That's, I mean, those yeah. are the fun parts of gaming. My, uh, my wife was uh, playing uh, in a game in Northern... Uh, we were actually playing through the old module Orc Slayer. And the game master was telling her that, oh, you know, this guy is dressed head to toe in full plate. And, you know, you just won't be able to... Uh, uh, to get through that, and she's like, "Okay, I shoot him in the eye." He's like, "Oh, you'd have to roll a three. Don't even bother." I shoot him in the eye. What else am I going to do? I'm here to play. So he's like, "Fine, go ahead, roll." She rolls a three, drills the arrow into her brain. Ma max damage. The big bad drops in one round, first attack. Poor game master staring there, looking at it. My wife is just looking appropriately smug. Um, and uh, you know, and then that very next thing, there was a, like a mook bad guy who just wouldn't die and effectively became the big bad for the session because he just kept making his health rolls, even though we, we had we had to like beat him down to negative 10 X hit points before he like turned into hamburger. Um, but, you know, it's that kind of random stuff that uh, that sometimes makes it memorable. And, and when you really think it right, go ahead. Sorry. I mean, yeah, we're all playing a game of chance. Um, just some of the chances are more interesting than others, like with fumbles. I find that more fun in a more laid-back, uh, wanting to joke around constantly at the table kind of deal. Um, and and I, I use fumbles to a degree in my own games, just uh, to a lesser extent. There isn't really a mechanic thing. It's either you succeed or not. But if you fail, something environmental usually happens, like an updraft in the wind or sand got in your eye or you tripped or things of that nature versus, oh, well, oh, your oh, dice suck. I'm sorry. On, on a certain level, fumbles are all, are also kind of like, ha ha ha. You followed in my DM trap of engaging in combat. Yeah. Uh, uh huh. Uh huh. Exactly. You rolled the dice. You have to live with it. I mean, for something like 5e, that doesn't work because they're there to kick ass, right? They're there to have, like, do Final Fantasy levels of damage to monsters or whatever. DC comic book hero stuff. Yeah, for sure. It's fun. My current it's a different style of play. It's good. You can pop up and down a lot in 5e whenever you go down, and my group is complaining about that, and I'm like, you're wrong. It's like it's like a Marvel or a DC comic book, you know? They get knocked out, and then 10 seconds later, they're back and shooting another energy blast or whatever. Someone, like should, write a song. Someone should write a song. I get knocked down, I get up again. Oh, God, no. Don't you damn it. 
that was actually something that that we I, I attempted to address a little bit in Dragon Heresy. There's a, a number of wounds that you can take where you're just done. Um, but that was I thought I would get farther than the 20th of January before hearing tub thumping. Yeah, I'm here to help. <laughs> here to make us suffer. Oh, calendar. <laughs> Uh, I guess next would be calendars. I have multiple calendars I use. I pick one for a campaign, and I track time as it flows on the calendar. I generate the weather ahead of time and, and the conditions and all that stuff. I put it on there, and then I just track what the players are doing and where they're going. Sorry, I'm done now. What do you do for weather? Like, How do you generate your weather? Well, I, I mean, like, I have some. I made them. My father had one called the Merwish calendar from a campaign he ran in the 70s. And I made one uh, that has, like, 13 months and a bunch of days. And then uh, I made sure I got printouts of the Forgotten Realms ones. I have PDFs of all these things. I'll, I'll see if I can't link them in the chat here. What, what do you what, do for what? weather? Well, I, there's, there's programs that will randomly generate weather based on terrain and area for role-playing games along sure, with mechanical I, I, effects and i just i didn't know if you had a pushed, personal preference that you recommended you like to use i just whenever i need to do it i go to google and i, I type in random weather generator D and mm -hmm. then i pick one and, and yeah, you know like it, it, it you get the sun and the moon on there you know what's going on you got and it's a great way to track time and allows you to keep track because you need to know when it is you know it, it was it was children to be very early that a meaningful campaign cannot be kept. <laughs> Thank you, Gary. Thank you. Yes. The uh, at least uh, for the stuff that I'm writing, um, I've got a uh, a temp a, a temperature and rain generator. That that what I wind up doing is I go and look at a town or a city in the U.S. Um, that is more or less the same geographic conditions as whatever I'm trying to do, um, and then look at record temperatures and typical temperatures through the year, uh, and I'll put that into a chart, um, and that becomes a climate sort of a weather and climate generator. Um, and uh, that, you know, obviously that requires some prep, um, but what I'm what I'm finding at least the other thing you can just do is use that exact thing and say, okay, well, what's the weather? literally right now in this proxy town dude if you if if, yeah. if filling out a weather from a database or a spreadsheet isn't the most fun thing in the world then you need to rethink being a dm that, that that's well it, it, it's it's fun for me to write it and to make a utility that's i'm i'm playing straight man here because i get what you're saying um but it's fun for me to write it and the ability to say, hey, I rolled 3D6 today and it's, you know, 36 degrees out and, and it looks like, you know, you got a 40% chance or it's going to rain sometime today and that rain might turn into 10 inches of snow. Um, but it's going to be slushy because it's 36 degrees and not 30, 31 yeah. degrees. Um, it, it, it adds a level of immersion to it um, that some players will groove on and other players will be like, yeah, I don't care. If I don't have weather prepared, I use Corelli's weather tables from his encounters book. Uh, they're very good. I'm not familiar with that. I'll post a link. It, 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 it was early OSR, although he started posting again lately. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, you know, and, and, um, 
on the chat, you know, what, what, what do you do when, when, yeah, okay, so you're caught in weather. What does that mean? Well, you're slower. Um, if you get wet, whatever temperature you're in feels colder, whether it, if you're warm, you feel cooler. If you're cold, you feel really cold. Um, so you're going to take penalties or have problems with constant, you know, you're going to have a hard time sleeping. Garbage. Your navigation is crap because you can't, I say travel can't, can't see the stars. Right. Yeah. Right. So there's, so there's a lot of impact. And, uh, if, especially if you're on mounted animals, you're not able to move through muck like you can through dry ground. I think it has pretty heavy impacts if you're yeah. clever. So, yeah, I mean, and, and some of this, obviously, if you're like, you know, a thousand feet underground, well, your weather is boring. It's, it's, it's rock temperature <laughs> and slightly misty. Um, but, uh, you know, if you're outside and moving around or, or, you know, I mean, weather was a big deal. You could get mud holes in, in quote, unquote, these quote unquote roads, roads that would basically eat a cart, a big cart. So, so the, the impact on travel uh, of, of bad weather is, was one of the reasons why Eisenhower sent a caravan of trucks across the U.S. to prove how bad it could be. Um, so, Do you live in Minnesota? The weather still has a major impact on roads. Yeah, although I would, I would argue that you know, when it snows in Oklahoma, Dallas has an even more severe impact. Uh, because they they look at a snowflake hitting a 400 miles to the north and freak out. At least based on my experience, <laughs> I'm teasing. They, they, I will say this: the, the minute it, it, yeah, travel in Minnesota. The only thing that's better about it is we're mostly used to it, except for the people who keep moving here, which make things bad for the rest of us who know how to drive. I play a lot <laughs> of. Uh... My, my settings and my games that I play tend to be in the Mastara ones, and they have a lot of trade emphasis on their calendar systems beyond, it's well beyond like religious holidays or waning max and summer spring kind of deal. Um, more of the economy comes into play in these calendars, and I like that aspect of the game. And uh, here's an example put in chat for you guys, kind of like that. But as you notice, it does have a little chart at the bottom of like cataclysm type events that could happen during the year or things yeah, yeah. like that. I think those add to the game and enhance the environment. Like uh, even the tax man coming to town, well, I guess we got to go back to our hometown to pay our family taxes because that's the thing. Um, and it's just part of the gameplay. And I find that it's a little bit more immersive to an extent. I mean, nobody likes paying taxes, not even us, let's, let's be honest. But it does add a, depth, a new layer of depth to the game. Nobody likes being stabbed either. It's still part of the game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nobody likes hacking somebody's leg off with a one, but it happens. Actually, yeah, that's uh, one, one of the things that's been, been fun is uh, trying to figure out how the money flows to the, to the nobles. What does collecting taxes look like? You know, how does raising money? Um, that's a, that's a world-building detail that uh, is not really necessarily on topic. Um, but, no, well, uh, in my calendar example, they choose one part of the nation on a certain month, and another month is a different part. So it takes a while to collect the whole country's taxes. It's just like in the real world. If you don't pay it, thugs come to your house and make you. The sheriff in Nottingham, uh, Robin Hood. Yeah, the way that I sort of solved it to prevent microtransactions and stuff like that, because most of the uh, people in the setting that I'm in are freeholders, is that uh, the guilds regulate non-survival commerce and the 
Lord sells the monopoly power to the guild. So the guild basically pays the taxes for everybody in their collection area, and then they raise whatever fees that they can from their transactions. Um, and there is some historical precedent for that. But yeah. But you need to be concerned about how do you physically protect the tax collector and make sure that bandits don't get all the taxes. Yep, absolutely. Him and his 50 friends. That's what the taxes are for. <laughs> well, no, absolutely, right? The tax collector would have to protect himself because it wasn't like a pass-through. He got the right to collect taxes in an area, and as long as he paid the Lord as this due each month or year or whatever, he can do whatever he want. I will say that it, this, is, this might be off topic. I have some Jewish ancestry, and one of the reasons uh, for a long time that there was a lot of anti-Semitism in Europe is that people would assign that task to the Hebrews and the Jews of being tax collectors. And so it's one of the reasons there's that stereotype about uh, Jewish people is because in Germany and Eastern Europe for a long time, they were primarily employed by the dukes and lords as tax collectors because they didn't want their own people to be disliked. Sorry. Yeah, what I, look what you did. Look what you did. No, no, you're fine. Um, what I also, in my games, character aging is a thing because of spells and stuff, so I find it useful for that because... Um, Everybody has a life expectancy day of, of natural causes. This will this is when you're you're expected to die. That's something we do during character generation, um, and sometimes throughout gameplay, either by spells or like wish spells or aging effects from ghosts or other nasty things out there, you could feasibly die of old age. It it, it can happen, and that's another thing for calendar uh, as well um, for my games at least. If you're an adventure and you died of old age, you failed. I do a lot do of downtime activities, which make calendars very important. I fully expect between one to four months to pass between each adventure, and the players need at least that much time. Right, I like that a lot, actually. Like, time needs to pass at a more frequent pace, because if you look at the games themselves, um, sometimes an adventure takes four days, and you're done. You know, one of the things that, uh, that, where was I going with this? Oh, uh, there was an old chess game called Archon. Um, it's so good. It was good. And, and, and the power of the pieces would wane and wax during the game. And to have the, your the bad guys game? get, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, from 1984. Yeah, no, it's a long time ago. I'm an old dude. It, so was like, it, was, it was like it was like on Commodore 64. 64. Yeah, that's yeah, where you right. played so, it. Was really good. It was a, it right. was like an action game. You would use your chess piece. You would land on it, and the pieces would be like and dragons, and they would have different abilities. Yeah. And like you said, there there were a bunch of things that affected. The, it was a strategy game. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, it was great. But one of the neat things about being having a good calendar is, you know, if you're fighting fairy in the winter, that should be bad for you and good for them. Right. Yeah. If yeah. So if you're fighting winter, if you're fighting the winter she in the winter, then you know they're like, okay, you've really made a colossal life choice here that that you're going to pay for because they've got all of this native power um, for... to deal with to to right because they're in their element and that kind of that kind of thing where you know what comes and goes and and uh, how does the power and the season affect the creatures that you're fighting. 
really makes it interesting. Oh, we have to go chase these hobs, uh, these these fa- fairy goblins in the winter time. That's a much more serious endeavor than the ones who are raiding in the summer. Yeah, my my, I have a lot of geomancers and witches and and cantrixes and people who use ley lines and the calendar and the phases of the moon affect all of that magic um, in yeah. campaigns. Not not for normal casters, but just for those. And sacrifices are affected by phases of the moon. Right. So I mean, but that's you know, once you start. You know, it's one of these things where it's like, you know, Gary will, you know, the guy Gaxian, you can't do this without a calendar. And you just read that from straight. Oh, yeah, I can have a meaningful campaign, blah, blah, blah. But when you think about all the things that stack up with the passage of time, you start to understand that there's actually, I start to understand there's a lot more to unpack in his statement than just, quote unquote, you're playing wrong. It's more, if you haven't considered all of these things, you're missing out in a level of experience that, you don't understand un- until you've yeah he's describing he's describing a specific game with specific rules that a lot of people didn't understand and here's what i'm saying about rat- bad wrong fun i i was commenting on reddit earlier and it's very hard to do because people there are so aggressive and negative and also not educated about whatever they're talking about so um it, it, they're telling they're saying you can't make objective statements because of bad wrong fun but here's the deal there are rules in the nfl if you want to play flag football at your house that's fine but there is a specific thing that is the official like there's a structure there and an intent behind each individual version of the game and if you do something other than that then you're not playing that game You did it again. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Shocked. I'm, I'm shocked by your assessment that there are negative people on the internet. Yeah, I, that's I, that's actually why we're 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 all we're not we're not reacting to your statement, which is of course fine. I, it's I, the what? I love someone said bad on the internet. I don't. I don't. I love. <laughs> I, love I stay away from gaming stuff on Reddit because it's just too. It's better than it was. I mean, like I remember reading Dragon Forum in 1984, where nobody knew what they were talking about. Well, before we run out of time here, I do want to get to this other topic, uh, abstract versus tactical map combat. And I think we have somebody here very opinionated on that one. You mean me? No, I... Yes, I, yes, yeah. yes. Come on, bring your, bring your A-game. Ernan. All right, let me, let me post to the uh, chat. I got a picture to share. If they'll let you, they're typing a mile a minute there. Well, that's that's a sign of a good chat, though. The people typing. There we go. There we go. Bring it. I love that map, by the way. This is an idea I got from an article on uh, Tenkar's blog. Uh, He had posted a a diagram, a simple black and white line drawing that I made into a nice little photorealistic thingy to play on and the idea is that you just handle relative positions in combat in a totally abstract way by putting them in the proper area of the diagram and uh, and just wing it with other stuff are you familiar with old school hack no it, it also had zoned combat like that. There were a couple suggestions. 
way early in the OSR. And personally, I found it very challenging to run. How does it feel for you in play? I've personally never run without a, a realistic combat map. Uh, I've never done abstract combat. It, it's it's interesting and tough, right? On the one hand, it's cool. On the other hand, at least the even when I'm not playing in a one-yard hex, one-second game, uh, I find that uh, the overhead of the players wanting to know details about where everyone is pretty much means that uh, I'm going to wind up plunking some sort of figure down eventually. I really like this map, and I have tried to do something. Um, but you know, as soon as the enemy breaks into several groups, you know, I guess uh, I guess it wouldn't necessarily be too bad if you had them in different channels. Like, yeah, you know, okay, well, this is one group of the enemy, and then if the enemy breaks off into a second group, you put down another page, right? And going between pages might take a movement action or something. I guess it depends on the game system I'm playing. Um... Back when I played D&D in the early days, uh, it was all done abstractly, and you'd have to keep asking the DM, well, how far away is this guy, and can I reach that? Uh, but ever since I switched to GURPS, combat has always been tactical with a map. Yeah, I, uh, I was trying to write a dogfighting system um, for airplanes based on technical grappling control points and you roll your pilot skill to see how well you're anticipating the other guy's moves. And I was really, really trying to have an abstract system that you didn't need a map, but you, you needed to know where your nose was pointed and whether your weapons could lock on or your machine guns could fire on the other guy. And it became very clear very quickly that it was better in all ways to put counters on a map for that particular application. Um, than, than to attempt to do theater of the mind because the, especially you get into the furball and everyone is pointed in different directions and you know you, there's no such thing as, oh, the enemy's over here and you're over here because you're all immersed. So, but I have done some theater of the mind combat. It's an, it's a, I think a Star Wars role-playing game was always, that I played was always, almost always theater of the mind combat because you hand wave away a lot of the details that, uh, um that and of course fate is zoned combat explicitly that's that's part of the base mechanic okay no okay, still no still no we're still here uh, i think we're yep, still having yep. one of those lines I posted a couple more links that people might want to look look at later on My experience with the tactical maps versus trying to do like theater of the mind style is I think it bothers the players outside of the game, the margin of error that can happen with uh, theater of the mind style and people are, I, I think society as a whole is more visual these days um, than imaginative a little bit. Uh, I'm not saying people aren't imaginative period. I'm just saying in today's oh, go world. Ahead. Yeah, yeah. You can say it. Go ahead. Go ahead. But yeah. Um, Political correctness aside, moving forward, um, <laughs> I, I think people need to see it to believe it kind of deal. And the tactical maps help immensely in that. I don't, there's that argument on the internet where old school versus new school or 
you have to have a tactical map, or you don't need a map at all. Just use your imagination. But I, I think I think it enhances to a degree where it's more believable, at least in my experience and for me and my players. It's it's variable, I think, a lot um, depending on what's going on in the game. I will frequently not run like if they run into three orcs and they decide to fight them. I'm not going to lay everything out. Like I'll just let them roll their attacks and let the orcs roll their attacks and then whatever. But as the combat gets more complicated and more important, I think the display gets more precise. I, from what Mikey sense, I think more abstract combat I have personally found works a lot better in, I, I use it for modern style stuff where melee is less likely than yeah. uh, firearm play. So, hey, we're running through a hotel lobby. I don't need a picture of the hotel lobby. You can visualize a hotel lobby pretty well. I have found that that works pretty well. Um, and I will peel that back a little bit with my group. If we're doing like an urban chase scene or even a, a wilderness chase scene, we just kind of uh, measure in increments versus actual map play. But to me, yeah, you get down to fantasy nuts and bolts. It's I, I use a grid. I use hex because I don't care what anybody says. Hex is superior to grid. But well, like I'm an I'm an artist, so frequently when I play online, we use a whiteboard, which is just free draw. And then at the table, I have the tactiles, which are like the puzzle piece, scored uh, dry erase marker tiles. And I'll draw monsters or the layout on there or whatever. I like using the images. That I, yeah. And the thing I try to incorporate, and I forgot to mention this, is uh, like descriptive combat. And I think that's the hardest thing for players to get around. I swing, I hit. Well, how did you hit him? Or where did you hit him? My, my, my players look at me like, like puppies that I've taken their food away if I don't describe how they hit went. Right, sometimes I do it, and sometimes I say, okay, you got the killing blow. How did you end its life? That kind of deal. I think yeah. that adds, I think that's the best of both worlds, having the tactical map, but the theater of the mind action in your head. Yeah, the... Uh... Dragon, at least the Dragon Heresy splits that with uh, the ability to aim, which gives you advantage on, or evaluate, which gives you advantage on attack, um, or you can increase the critical range. So if you aim, you have a higher chance of, of scoring a, a critical hit. Um, you know, on the, on the extreme end of that, every look, hit location has mechanical aspects to it in, in a GURPS game, or, or there are other systems that, that do that as well. Um, which can lead to analysis paralysis, which can slow down the game. So, it, it, and it's really the same thing: is that the the does the presence or absence of those details speed things up for your group and make them more fun, or does it create a ten-minute turn because there's not enough information, or there's too much information? Uh, to process, to to quickly uh, get through what really ought to be a moment-to-moment -moment decision because an orc is trying to eat your face. Um, so it's... Uh, um, plus the, the amount of freedom that you have to actually say, oh, I'm going to stab him in the neck uh, is going to very much depend on whether or not the shield is covering the neck and that, that is not covered. And that's all... Again, that's abstracted away in a hit roll, um, but... At least when I'm doing sword and shield combat or spear combat or whatever, it's uh, uh, especially when I'm deeply engaged. It's 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 you're trying to force an opening, but you know you're going to take what's there. 
I mean, especially for like, I don't know, those one-off scenarios, like the Battle of Five Armies kind of deal. Are you going to roll each individual initiative and each individual attack for each one of those things? No. You're going to find a way to speed that up. Right, like, right. one side goes, the other side goes. It's all simultaneous. Whatever. Um, so, some aspect is still left up to theater to mind, depending on the size and the mechanics behind it. Absolutely. And if you're gaming something like a modern-day car chase, there, there's no way you're going to do it on a tactical-scale map. I pretty much have Oh, Breakout Car Wars! Breakout Car Wars! Car Wars, for sure. <laughs> it, 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 the, the interesting thing about that, though, is, is that uh, Ernan's right in that, especially if everyone isn't in the car. Well, if everyone's in the car, then you really just need to the relative position of two cars. Right? Uh, you know, you can move things around the the map which is you know oh this road and that road and whatever um but that actually works out pretty well um in a cinematic exposition of relative states so to speak um if you have cut out well to jump back in there no that's and that's kind of my point is what he was getting at you know car chase wise you don't really need to know everything else about there you need to know the distance between these so two things and I think that works in fantasy foot chase too, or even fantasy horse chase. It's just the relative position of all the particular players. So, yeah, I think that's perfectly serviceable in my experience. And as far as descriptors go, it is also my experience that the level of description is directly proportional to the volume of experience that the DM has with that particular system. Because if he doesn't know that system, he's kind of new to it, speaking from personal experience, your description is going to be kind of weak because you're still trying to figure out what the dice will even mean. Yeah, I think that's fair. Sorry about that. My, I still don't know what to do with my <laughs> audio setup. But yeah, I mean the the yeah Thanks you you, you can you Appreciate continued that. my thought exactly right. I mean it's it's there are cases when you really are going to know because it's important to the plot and what mechanics support. You're going to need to know where everyone is, and then there's probably a larger number of cases than even I think where hand waving it is just fine. So. All right. Well, it's time to promote them products and or services. Shameless plug there. I put a, uh, someone mentioned Car Wars and I put a, a link to something I made to, to play Car Wars via virtual tabletop software. In case you want to check it out. Cool. Uh, anything else you want to plug for our people to click and buy? Because spend their dollars. Sure, I'll, I'll post some links in a minute. Cool. Uh, well, no, you do. I'll show you. Just so you're aware in case I'm not here next time. Um, so, uh, for those that aren't aware, we have a new schedule channel in Tinker's Tavern. And here's a link for that. That'll show you what's coming up, what time it's coming up, so you're all aware of that now. It's the first channel under live chats. And uh, if you want to support Tinker's Tavern directly, there is his Patreon, which will be here. And as he says, for less than a price of Coke, you can help support the tavern for a dollar a month. There you go, Laramie. You can repeat what I just said if you want.
yeah, I say what Peck said. <laughs> okay. Us two are done. Next. Uh, I don't think it's, I think I'm last this time. Okay, I'll go. Uh, I am Courtney Campbell. Uh, I stream on Twitch as Agonark Artist. I write the blog, Hack and Slash. Um, I've posted links in the channel, like I'm an advertising blimp uh, since this show has started. Um, I uh, have in print the... Uh, game I was talking about earlier, Perdition, and the Volume 4 collects the Wizards Panoply stuff, if you'd like to have it and use it at your table when we were talking about the spell um, components, Jess. Uh, I encourage everybody to follow me and support me on Patreon and subscribe to my Twitch and basically continue to help me afford my dream of indoor living. Um, and so I hope to see you around uh, and uh, you know, being one of the great people that makes it possible for me not to freeze to death. Woohoo! As a major component of his writing, I would also like to recommend you don't let him freeze to death. <laughs> Is it me? Or am I? Or am I... Uh, yeah, it's you. All right, very good. Uh, I'm Douglas Cole. Uh, I run uh, Gaming Ballistic LLC. Um, and uh, I just posted, uh, I'm in the last week of the backer kit phase of a Kickstarter campaign for the second edition of Lost Hall of Tear, turning <clears throat> what was a convention one-shot into a much more open, um, <clears throat> open hex-crawly kind of uh, uh, non-linear quest. Um, I got Glen Seal to redo my combat maps, and so now they're, they're really cool. Um, they, were, they were sort of stocked on Ginny assets before um, because I ran out of money, and... So the second edition is uh, almost double in size and uh, much much nicer. And if uh, we get another five hundred dollars in pre-orders, we get uh, uh, to a a big offset print run, which puts it in stores and as well as upgrades both the paper and the quality of of the uh, uh, of the copy. Um, so that's kind of what's going on with me right now. Uh, I also posted a link to the original campaign uh, and to my website where you can see Dragon Heresy and Dungeon Grappling and uh, a couple of my other stuff. Um, I've got a whole bunch of stuff coming up in 2019. Um, three more uh, adventures for uh, Paul, uh, for the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game set in my uh, fantasy Viking um, land of, of Nordland or Torengard, depending on what system you're playing. Um, and I hope to uh, announce a contract with Steve Jackson Games to do many fantasy trip adventures um, in the coming year. Uh, I won't be writing them, but I will be publishing them. And uh, <clears throat> we had reached agreement on, on Thursday and Friday as to what was going to happen, and we just need to sign the contracts. So uh, 2019, uh, I am hopefully going to be releasing somewhere between like a minimum of nine and as many as a dozen new things. So it's going to be a, an interesting year. Good luck with Good that, luck. Douglas. Thank you. That Thank is you. a lot. Yes, much luck to you. So we have a lot of links for y'all to peruse. Support your favorite one, and if you're rich, support them all. <laughs> now it's part of the show where we will unmute the audience for you all to ask us questions. Yay! Your host, you're not supposed to cheer for that. <laughs>
I, I was still. I, I just. I just posted a link to uh, my MapForge software for those of you who don't like to do abstract combat. You, you can get very detailed with your maps these days. Uh, indoor maps, outdoor maps, uh, any game genre uh, should have something for you. And if, if not, request it and I'll see what I can do. Did you write that? Or did you write that software? Yes, and I publish generally pre-existing content from numerous artists. I try and find the best content providers and uh, make them available. Awesome. What What's it written in? Um, Adobe Director. That's fantastic. All right. You're all unmuted. So if you have a question for a particular host or a general question for us all, fire away. You can type it in chat if you don't have a mic as well. Um, seeing as I'm here, Sorry. Good goblin. Oh, okay. Um. Yeah, I kind of showed up halfway through. Unfortunately, message to a bit later. But um, when I hopped in, you were talking about um different mythological creatures being analogs for things like where you had a pirate fist and all this kind of thing. Um, I thought that was kind of an interesting topic. I, I study a lot of uh, anthropology and you know folklore, world religion, that. Um, and like in literature and stuff, you got stuff like with uh, Camilla was the first time anyone addressed lesbianism. That was within the vampiric angle. It was quite a controversial book for its day. Um, and but also you've got the other side of it, um, whereby you've got how can I put it? like like with uh, vampires the the idea of like aristocracy, loneliness, um, right, and that kind of and with like. Um, Werewolves, you've got like, like more clan mentalities, a lot of like ecological rights type people like that. But then also certain political currents use it with this idea of being alone against like opposition and, and, and guerrilla warfare and stuff. Um, and I was wondering, like, <clears throat> do you think that these things kind of bind in with each other? Um, I, I've, I've, I forget the name of the article, but I read one where someone said that the, vampiric analog as a rapist is actually also linked in with the idea of it being an analog for the aristocracy being predatory force against things below it and that correct um and, and also if you could um maybe link the book that you mentioned earlier because I, I don't think that got linked and i'd quite like to read it yeah i actually just put the uh you can't see it because, for whatever reason, it didn't bring the picture with it. But uh, I just threw it up there okay. uh, in the in the chat. Cool. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, just one on of the, that. yeah, no, one of the things that uh, I'll just try. You know, fears change over time, right? If if I'm a if I'm a you know devout Viking pagan or something, and I'm absolutely convinced that if I die in combat, I'm going to go before Odin and be admitted to Valhalla where my life is great. That's going to inform my decisions about stuff. Um, and the, you know, gee, how am I going to die in combat is going to evolve to, am I going to be a good person if I'm a Christian or whatever, or I'm going to, you know, follow in the, in the spirit of Christ if I'm a Christian or whatever. And, and so f fears are going to evolve over time um, based on our state of knowledge and stuff. I mean, you could, you could, you know, there, there's there's probably some great transhumanism horror that you could do um, in in terms of you know what happens if you no longer become 
become truly human and whatever. So I, I think that to your actual question or your point, which is, yeah, you know, these monsters can be more than one thing. And it's going to be the question I think that, that you ask yourself as, as a game master, as an adventure writer, or even as a player is, am I going to play my character's fear? You know, I'm not really afraid of spiders, but my character is terrified of the spider gods or whatever, right? Am I afraid of death? Because, because that's it. And my soul gets sucked into a, to a otherworldly Lovecraftian hell? Or am I looking forward to death because I get to sleep in the arms of baby Jesus, to quote uh, Charles Gunn from Buffy? Um, right? So it's going to be, uh, you know, what, what, what do you want to do? Do you want to play the metaphor in the campaign or do you want to touch the, the people or can you do both at once? But, but knowing kind of that is, is good, I think, because if a vampire shows up or if some creature that is preying on the fear of, of adultery or, you know, that your offspring, which is really important because that's where magical powers come from, have or your, you know, you have a, a deep connection to your bloodline because blood magic is a real thing. And so you're terrified that uh, a, a fairy will take your offspring and change its blood for, for, for yours or whatever. If that's a true fear then that's going to be reflected in how the NPCs around your characters respond to the presence of a monster. You know, a stalwart band of mercenaries will absolutely not go fight this one creature. They just won't because cultural taboo, blah, 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 in campaign stuff. So I, I think that there are ways even uh, to, to, even if the players aren't feeling it, to make sure that your world feels it. That just, that was interesting. Jifor aside, any other questions? Aw, sadness. Yeah. I could talk about Viking Shield. I could talk about Viking Shield some more. Heck, <laughs> what's your favorite color? No, I'm trying to think of something. So is this being recorded and it's gonna be posted somewhere later? Uh, yes, it is. Um, it's going to go on the Anchor for podcasts, and it's going to go to Todd's YouTube channel, Hexpress, for uh, video, flashy, fun stuff that he does. He has skills that I don't. So you'll have your audio, and you'll have your visual plus audio stuff with Todd. Someone else had a question in the chat. I really can't think of anything because I made most of my comments in chat. Ripples asks, do you have guidelines or wishes for people who modify or custom create for your game systems, or are you cool with whatever they do? Well, if I, if I wrote a system, you would know what my intent was because the text communicates that. So you should be able to, as a dungeon master, change that in a way where you understand why things are the way they are. So beyond that, it, it, I don't care, man. It's your home. I mean, it just depends what the, it is. I mean, if it fits in the confines of the campaign world, it's like, hey, I want to bring my gunslinger into a non-gun world. Well, that doesn't really fit the campaign. 
So no on that. Yeah. But if it's something more in lines with what the campaign saying is going to be, sure. Let's see what you got here. Let's go over it together or maybe make some tweaks here and there to make it fit better. You're so it's not an automatic no or yes, sense. but yeah. You're so I new know. school. You got, you got, you got, uh, it doesn't fit your setting. Man, Holmes had like a, a werebear and like a dragon and like an Eskimo. It was good times. I've, if somebody yeah. comes to me and they're like, I want to play an alien space wizard. I'm like, we have alien space wizards now. Yeah, you know, I think it, it it's going to depend. I mean, you know, in the 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 you know, the world is a big play. Actually, I'm I'm trying to uh uh broaden the the concept of what what the world of Dragon Hair. I recently I was chatting with a bunch of my authors. I was like, "You know, wouldn't it be cool if the world were really hollow and really big? Um so you could do all kinds of 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 subterranean stuff and then you get to say, "Oh, here's the underground lost world with dinosaurs." So a little bit more uh uh blowing out there. But uh you know, I you know, I, I have had conversations with people who were like, Oh, I want to do this, this, and this. I'm like, well, that breaks the origin story for the world. Right? That's not how it happened in this particular thing. If you want to do that in your own campaign, great. But if we start running down that pathway in published material, that becomes more of a challenge. If for especially if you're trying to have a related set of products. I don't know. I actually would promote people to bring house rules, even if we don't decide that we can only use them. I think it takes a lot of work off the GM if other people at the table are offering solutions to problems. Well, yeah, and, and so and that's a good point. Like, if you're like, oh, I don't like this thing. I don't like I don't like the grappling rules. I want to get rid of them. Fine, great, do that. Um, if you're going to write for me, I, I need you to build off the mechanics that are in the book uh, unless they're broken, in which case it's time to do an errata. But hopefully they're not. <laughs> right. Yeah, I guess like Spelljammer and Planescape are a thing, then Forgotten Realms are quite as malleable generally, what you guys are kind of saying. Well, AD&D 2E was basically the core system, and all these settings basically built off of that. Um, in Spelljammer, you had the gifts, which used smoke powder weapons, um, and Greyhawk had some high-tech artifacts. Um, those could be setting breakers if you, say, took them to Dragonlance or uh, Birthright. <clears throat> Excuse me. Using the base tree mechanics. And Deviat's typing furiously. Well, since we didn't get to address the topic earlier, and while people are thinking of questions here, Laramie, what's your favorite board game and comic? Oh, see, that's what. What, what is your favorite? Those are always caveatable kind of questions. As far as board I, games, I, have a, I have a favorite. 
I'll, I, yeah, uh, I like to Kaido. I love Arkham Horror. It's crunchy. It's gross. It takes eight hours to win. You're probably going to lose, and I love every minute of it. It's good. It's fun. It's got some replay value, too. It's terrible. You die, but it's fun. Oh, yeah, you're going to die. But, you know, it's Cthulhu. <laughs> we actually kicked oh. a guy out of our group who was cheating playing Arkham Horror. He, like, would roll a one and then pick up the die and re-roll it. was like, what are you even doing? Well, yeah, I mean, that's going to happen in every game. You can't stop guys from cheating. Cheaters are going to cheat. Is Taylor Swift song about that? I would, I would also strongly recommend uh, Battlestar Galactica. I wouldn't recommend any of the myriad of expansions, but the base game itself is a really, really good paranoia who's the bad guy game. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Let's see, I favorite. Actually, you, you I could, actually like you the pre-Avalon Hill. and not know it at the beginning of the game because the way that the, the roles are handed out, they change halfway through the game. So you might not even know you're the bad guy. That's no, a good. That's a good that. mechanic and fits well with the source material. Yeah, it's it's really good because you can take basically the number of players multiply by two, take that many roll cards, and if you're playing like a six player game, there are going to be two Cylons, and so you've got twelve cards. Everybody gets one at the beginning of the game. Everybody gets one halfway through the game. You could literally be playing the first half of the game. Everybody's paranoid because you know there's a bad guy, and there literally might not be a bad guy for the first half of the game. Let's see. Favorite board game is going to be Talisman. And if you're lucky enough to own 13 expansions and play it all in one go, good luck. I'll link a video in a second with the guy who did that. Uh, Comics is going to be Lock and Key. I hate Talisman. That game takes forever. I'll second Lock and Key. It's very good. It's it's a very good comic series. I'm I'm kind of a dynamite man myself. Lots of Red Sonia and Conan, but uh, Lock and Key is worth the read for sure. I I I have that problem where I can you make that mistake where you compare things to other things. I love the old Barry Windsor Smith Conan. Yeah, but the new they're doing some interesting stuff, the new modern stuff. But I'm reading the old ones too. I mean, like, you know, just because they're old doesn't mean they're not awesome. Uh, I again, lock and key. It, it, I haven't been that excited about a serial in quite a while. It's very good. Very, uh, it leaves an impact on you for sure. I highly recommend it. I second that suggestion. At least for I, me, I for really... board game. Go ahead. No, go ahead, man. Hit it. Oh, I was gonna say, at least for me, for board games. Um, uh, my kids and I play a lot of Castle Panic. Um, it's cooperative. It usually is hairy till the last uh, to the last minute. Um, and uh, we've occasionally played. Actually, I even played Pandemic with my four-year-old and my nine-year-old. The four-year-old was surprisingly effective. Um, and uh, but we had to stop playing it's Pandemic. Spreading disease. My... What? Your four-year-old was effective at spreading disease. Well, that's natural for a four-year-old, but no, we were actually trying to cure the disease. Although that would be hysterical if you actually had somebody playing the diseases. Um, Wait, there's, a, there's a variant I've played before where one person is the saboteur. Oh, interesting. 
But yeah, no, it's uh, uh my we had we we for a while we stopped playing Pandemic because my nine year old would have nightmares of epidemics and people dying of disease and stuff because she's very uh, imaginative. She's going to be a good writer one day. Um, she's already not bad. Um, but uh, yeah, so we had to stop because she'd be like, I'm having a nightmare about people dying of disease and infection and whatever. I'm like, okay, no more Pandemic for you. <laughs> if you like Castle Panic, I would also prop up uh, Star Trek Panic. Really I've heard job. great um, things about that. I've heard great things about that one. The mechanics no, are that it's... does a really good job of being the original series and it does Castle Panic-y things and adds enough different mechanics and it's not just a lousy reskin that you're paying for a license. Yeah, I, uh, that's, that sounds like a good plan because I, I, I remember reading a review that basically said what you just said, that it was, it, it took the fun that was Castle Panic and, and made it really cool because there were proactive things that you could do. Oh, I'm going to turn the ship. And so, you know, I'm going to deliberately move the monsters counterclockwise one space or whatever. Um, well, so that, that it was, them. it also potentially kills you. Is that what you just said? No, you can intentionally bring them closer for reasons. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, so, yes, that's, game, that's since neat. This is, a, this is a tabletop discussion. I'll throw this out there. Uh, before I played D&D, my first big fantasy tabletop setup, uh, my mom, when I was in my single digits, maybe, yeah, I think it was single digits, it might have been low doubles, uh, I had seen a television commercial for HeroQuest, which looked like the most fascinating thing I'd ever seen. And before I had any other friends who were playing it, my dear darling mother figured out how to play HeroQuest with me, and that was part of how I got into tabletop, via board Ooh. Uh, I, I, yeah, pretty much. Not a, not a typical route in, and that is definitely, as I look back as an adult, not in my mom's wheelhouse. So a lot of appreciation goes to her for this wonderful hobby that I have. Yeah, that's 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 not my family. I uh, regrettably, it was, you know, I I, I joked to my mom the other day uh, uh, a while ago because I had put the fifth edition books on my Christmas list. And of course, my in-laws got me some of them, and and my parents didn't. I'm like, you know, and and she's always had this thing where she's just, you know, well, you know, these, this, you know, I don't want you to be weird. I'm like, well, this that ship has sailed. Um, and I'm like, I write and publish. I'm a professional author now in this genre. I don't think you have to worry about whatever. And she, she, I've, ne I've never gotten any bit of, yeah. You know, I mean, she threw some money at my Kickstarter, but that's you know. That's there was really no interest level there, which was always a shame. The other thing that I will give my mom credit for is, as I did start gaming, we had a kid that was uh, had a you know this is mid nineties, had a rural Iowa, had other parents that was very concerned about you know the devil worshipy with with D and D, and my my mom sat her down with a pile of rule books and said, okay, go through there and find the devil. Let's because what you're going to find is there's a whole lot of vocabulary, there's a whole lot of math, and a lot of people are scared of math and big words. And that's what you're going to find in there. And that was my, my mother's very sound defense of a thing that she didn't even fully comprehend. Good thing 5th edition Warlock wasn't in the book then. <laughs> well, sorry, <laughs> but when you look at those covers, people were literally judging the book by the cover. And I, I get it. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, my my mom found the sense of her son's hobby.
Yeah, exactly, Blue Griffin, the Satanic Panic. Good times had by none. Huh. I have a question about the... Oh, uh, lost. The, 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 yeah. I have, I have a question about that, one of, the, one of the, the cover with the idol and the guys peeling the gems off. What are the factions, and what, what is everyone's opinion on the factions involved there? The guys who are stealing the gems, are they part of the people who are dragging kobolds out? Because they all look human, except for the ones that aren't. And so are they just cleaning up, and they're just working, or are they trying to sneak? Is this a thief getting the treasure so that, you know... I, I never actually heard a discussion of that. I could never quite figure out who the factions were in that original cover. I always took it as just the thieves of the party doing their job. Yeah, I'm with him. I think that's just the party doing these things. Yeah, same here. I mean, what what group have you sat with where you come to an idol with jeweled eyes hasn't decided to try to take said eyes? Right. I was just wasn't sure if they were trying to get rid of the eyes without the guys on the on the bottom knowing about it, or well, yes, they are thieves. That's what they do. Would it be good thieves if they if they didn't? <laughs> well, you know, maybe they were up there checking for traps and stuff. I guess you send the barbarian these days because he's got the most. But no, with the with the older older editions, there's so much more than the artwork and the nomenclature of the original demons and devils. I mean, for the Bible Belt people and 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 the pseudo Christianity people out there, they're um see the name Osmodius or something like that. Well, this game is satanic. It's evil. There is a counter to that, though, because a lot of people I've met who got into occultism did do so through reading Dungeons and Dragons when they were earlier. But then it becomes a chicken in an egg scenario. Would you actually be interested in that if you were actually a good Christian? And would you be able to suspend Leave to just have a good time, right? Oh, I've pl- I've actually had a game where one of my players was a Catholic priest. We had a and we had a blast. <laughs> and there is a group on Roll Twenty called Gamers for Christ. But it was more the evangelical Christianity that was. The forefront of the satanic panic, um, the, the the Jerry Falwells, the Pat Robertson Robinson people. Um, well, before we go too far off into the deep end of religion, what else do you want to talk about? Uh, <laughs> thanks for the save, Laramie. There we go. Pull up, pull up. Bort, Bort. Yeah, caution, were, terrain. Yeah, caution, the terrain. Yeah, but these were the same people that were condemning music or certain types of music. Since I didn't finish Pex's earlier question, and I'm trying to change the subject lately, <laughs> uh, that was board games, comic books. Uh, there's uh, always stuff coming out now, always going to be Cowboy fan. The other thing that I will, I think my longest running comic book series, uh, Nice Demeanor Table, and after that, the 80s Funny Justice League. A nice era scattering of things that I've enjoyed. All right, we're running short on time here, folks. Anybody have any last-minute questions for our host? 
And now they're all typing. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, Bruce is awake. Hi, Bruce. I miss. Oh, what makes a good monster in a tabletop RPG? Believability, and probably something that hasn't been seen before. I I think that's a whole other like. What makes a good character? It's the same question. Like, I think it's it's leveled and layered and depends a lot on the table, the group, the system, the campaign. Let's let's queue it up for the next one. I think it's a great question, um, and it's it's worth discussing. What make what makes good adversaries? Slash, I mean, and that's the question: Is are you looking for adversaries or you're looking for monsters? One of my standard catchphrases I'm writing is, "Yo, you either be attacked by monsters or monstrous people." And you know, it's it's the two can have the same niche, or they can be entirely different niches, right? If they're just mobile bags of hit points, then they're all kind of boring. Chili. All right, guys. Well, lunch at Bruce's. <laughs> uh, just real short on that topic. Uh, for me, it's the kind of like the original Nosferatu movie. You don't, you see, you rarely see the monster, but you see the destruction of the monster kind of deal a lot before you actually ever see him. I think the build up to said monster is what really sells it as a monster. But that's just my opinion. And again, that we can go on this subject for an hour. So I think that is a very good Breakfast Club topic for next week, possibly. Well, I guess at that point, um, since I declared at the beginning of the show, this is now my show, I guess at this point mm. I'm going to declare that since it's my show, I'm closing the show. <laughs> All right, thanks everyone for joining us. Thank you. Uh, Hope you see online. Get in touch with the Patreon Discord. Give me your monies. Thank you all very much. Hey, Courtney, seriously, thanks for all. I've been reading your blog for years, man. It's good stuff. Thanks for doing what you do, brother. Well, I just try to stay indoors and eat right now. That's my my current plan. I'm working real hard. It's going well. It's going okay. But you know, don't don't let that stop you from supporting me. I mean, I feel like just making a like charity food drive for you right now. I, I am doing work for money. Like, there's things you can buy. You don't just have to donate. But I'm not turning down gifts. I don't know how I'm coming off. I'm so embarrassed. I'm going to listen to this later and just be... We are embarrassing. Abashed. Abashed. Uh, the recording will be out uh, whenever Todd says it's going to be out pretty much. Uh, again, if you need a schedule for next week, it's in the channel... In the live chat section, I'll put the link here in a second. And until next week, sports fans. Thank you, Pets, for the invite. Or oh, they're welcome. All right, I'm going to bounce later on. See you guys.